We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. And we have got part two of Katerina von Bora Luther. And you thought we were just going to end with them getting married, like a Disney movie, right? Right. Yes, absolutely. Ends with a wedding, but no. There is so much more to Katerina. And if you remember last week, uh, she had been given when she was young uh, to a convent. She had been raised. She wrote a letter to Martin Luther along with other nuns, uh, begging him to help them get their freedom. They escaped. Luther found brides for all the young escapees but uh, Katerina. And finally, he decided to marry her himself. Yes, exactly. And in order to please his father and spite the devil. Yep, and the Pope. And uh, <laughs> make everyone yes. mad. Yes. So tell <laughs> me about their marriage, Jasmine. Okay. So uh, first of all, and this is something that Cheryl alluded to in our last episode, they had some major challenges in their marriage. You know, first of all, they faced a lot of slander when they got married, as you can imagine. And then when they started having kids, people said they were going to give birth to the Antichrist or a two-headed monster. I mean, so many crazy uh, accusations. They just constantly face that. And that's, you know, that's we're going to see why Katie really was probably the only woman <laughs> that could have handled this at the mm-hmm. time. Like Cheryl had said before, I mean, he was constantly facing persecution before he even got married, you know, and uh, oppression, opposition, death threats. And so you need a pretty strong woman who could handle that and who had her own walk with the Lord so she wouldn't be moved by these challenges. But this was a very sudden and surprising marriage. Luther actually joked and said, I can hardly believe it myself, but the witnesses are too strong. <laughs> and he said, a man is likely to wonder a great deal when he first gets married. When he's in bed and wakes up, he sees two pigtails next to him, something he didn't see there before. So it was a you know shock to the system. Um, <laughs> but he also said, God likes to work miracles and make a fool of the world. And it really was a miracle because these guys, as I mentioned last week, they married more out of like compassion. They they appreciated one another, but there wasn't any real deep love there or anything like that. And yet they really grew to love and appreciate each other as the years went by. And they became the model of Protestant marriage, you know, for the Reformation. There was mutual admiration. Yes. And I mean, she liked his integrity Mm -hmm. and he liked her strength in the Lord. I think that was, you know, if there was any attraction at all, that was. Yes. And that is a solid foundation. You know, I mean, if you've got that, then, you know, God can work with that. That's right. (laughs) So they really met their match in one another um, because they were both very outspoken and had strong personalities, as you might imagine. Uh, Martin was moody. He had a violent temper sometimes. Katie had a sharp tongue and all that's going to come out here today in our story, but they both did love the Lord above all else, and they were willing to learn how to make it work. And so Martin once said, the greatest blessing is to have a wife to whom you may entrust your affairs. And I think he was definitely thinking of Katie when he said that, because from the beginning, she was really an asset and a support. They were poor when they got married, but Martin believed that God would honor their step of faith that they were taking. And really, God did, largely through her prudence (laughs) and diligence. So um, she immediately started trying to just bring his affairs and his life in order. He's an old confirmed bachelor. And so, I mean, she had a lot of cleaning up to do. Um, And this is where her years at the convent now became a real blessing to her family and to many others, as we'll see. One of the first things she did after the wedding was to whitewash all the walls of the monastery with lime. That's a gnarly task. 
Uh, and her biographer talks about how able-bodied she was. I mean, she's a strong young woman. <laughs> and then she starts making it a functional and even financially productive home. And so we know she obviously had the task of looking after her household, her family. Eventually, they had six kids, four of which survived infancy. But that's not all she did. Uh, the monastery had 40 rooms in it. And Katie helped, you know, initiate the remodeling process. And then Martin, uh, benevolently, he took in several nieces and nephews, children of this widower whose wife had died in the plague. And then because of Martin's fame, they had all these students coming in, guests, refugees that were always passing through the Luther household. And so at times, all 40 rooms were being occupied. And Katie had to host all of these people. It reminds me of, if you remember back when we did Edith Schaefer, talking about Francis and Edith Schaefer at Labrie, it was kind of like that. Plus One of those... Katie also um, bred cattle and yes, sold cattle. Yes, I mean, there so, I mean, yes. And the other thing that she had, which is would be controversial to us, not to Germans, was that she had a brewery. Mm -hmm. At a time when beer and wine, we have to remember, were considered safer than drinking water. That's right. So, yes. And it's had, Germany. It's not. It's Germany. Right. America. <laughs> Say no more. Yes. So it's kind of amazing. Her goal was actually to make this massive household self-sufficient. And because of her wise management of the house and land, she was kind of able to realize that goal. It was pretty amazing. Martin called her the morning star of Wittenberg because she rose so early to begin her tasks. 4 a.m. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Crazy woman. Kate became, uh, this is what her biographer said, just to list some of her duties. She became a gardener, fisher, brewer, fruit grower cattle and horse breeder, like Cheryl said, a cook, a beekeeper, provisioner, nurse, and vintner. I mean, step aside Proverbs 31 woman. I mean, she just... <laughs> well, she was known to go around and help other families and that, that were too, sick. Exactly. She would Not bring people... Not just the ones right in the, yes. in the monastery, but she would go out from there to <sighs> just minister amazing. to the sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She and Martin were very compassionate. A lot of people don't realize that mm -hmm. about Martin Luther because he comes across so feisty theologically. Mm -hmm. But as a person, he had a lot of compassion. And so, yeah, she had family farms, vegetable gardens, orchard, the livestock, and the brewery. Um, she acquired a lot of land. She acquired a farm in Zulsdorf, which was a couple hours from Wittenberg. And she would sometimes go there for peace and quiet. And it's thought that that was probably where she would get that refreshing from the Lord that she needed to do all that he called her to do and to, you know, be able to withstand all the oppression and attacks that she and Martin often faced. Um, so... Finances were really the hardest thing for Martin to give over to Katie. He was fine with her doing all this other stuff, but they had enough money where they could have lived relatively comfortably, but Martin was generous to the point of self-sacrifice. So he was kind of generous to a fault. Uh, he didn't want to keep anything that he did not consider absolutely necessary. And so he was terrible at managing money. And he said, <laughs> God put fingers in our hand for the money to slide through so he can give us more. Whatever a person gives away, God will reimburse. And so the Luthers, like I said, they were taking care of refugees and students and homeless people constantly not asking for anything in return. And I love that perspective. But when they started going into debt and, you know, it starts giving them a bad name in the community, that's where there's a little bit of a problem. So <laughs> finally, Martin gave Katie control of the finances and then they were able to better support themselves and bless their guests but also enhance the ministry the Lord gave them. So it actually was, you know, better that way if he just gave it over. But this was like remarkable because- It was, that was unusual. Right, because you weren't considered manly 
if you didn't handle the finances. And there's a lot of couples and, you know, even people that teach the man has to be in charge of the finances. But they really had what we would call like a mutual, mm. um, mutualistic marriage where yes, they really complimented each other. Yes, yes, and, exactly. And she played to his gifts and allowed him the freedom to do what he was called to do. And he mm. allowing her to do what came naturally to her, like the finances. Do you have that? You convince mm-hmm. me of whatever you please? That quote? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's pretty much what he realized. Like, this is her gifting. And, and it did. That's exactly what Cheryl said. They really were a team. Mm-hmm. And, and he understood and realized and recognized where That's she right. could compliment him. Mm-hmm. So one biographer said Katie's greatest victory was that she taught her husband to say no. <laughs> In fact, he jokingly called her my Lord Kate when he would write letters to her. Uh, another thing that was interesting in their marriage was that, you know, you got to remember, Martin was 41 when they got married and he was a confirmed bachelor. And so when someone has lived alone for as long as he had, it's kind of hard to change out of old habits, even if it's for the best. Um, but this is where, again, Katie's strong personality kind of asserted itself. Martin said, before I got married, no one had made my bed for a whole year. The straw was rotting from my sweat. I Ugh. wore myself out with work during the day, so I fell into bed oblivious of everything. Not anymore. <laughs> kind of nasty. And so Kate brought cleanliness and, again, order to his life, the efficiency, the aptitude, all these things. One biographer even said um, of Katie that she ruled both her household and her husband, a situation which the latter accepted resignedly since he was totally incapable of organizing the affairs even of the smallest household. She brought order to his life and not always to his satisfaction because sometimes, because of the strength of their personalities, they would have a little bit of drama in the home. They were very normal. I love that about um, their marriages that Luther was pretty transparent writing about their arguments and different things that came up. I've got a quote for that one. Go ahead. I might be in here. I don't know. Go ahead. If I can endure conflict with the devil, sin, and a bad conscience, then I can put up with the irritations of Katie Von Bora. I love it. Yes, I saw that. I didn't write that down. I'm glad you said that one. Now, their first argument that we know of uh, was over a monetary wedding present. It was given by an archbishop who hated Luther. And I'm not sure if he just felt obligated to send this gift. I don't know. But Luther refused to accept this. He's like, no, this is from an enemy. But Katie was very thrifty and sensible. And uh, she knew at the time Martin was in debt and he couldn't afford to be so rash. And so she had to overrule him in this. So that was her first argument. Um, And they ended up accepting the gift. (laughs) On another occasion, Katie contradicted Martin in front of dinner guests. And he said, if I should ever marry again, I would hew myself an obedient wife out of stone. (laughs) So, I I mean, there are quite a few... (laughs) of these stories. And remember, Martin was very accustomed to monastic life. And so he had to kind of learn to work with people around him, not being on his own to study in quiet. And so one time he locked himself in his study for three days and would not respond to anything. Katie's banging on the door. He's not listening. Finally, depending on which story you read, she either had the locksmith come in and undo the door bolt or she actually had the door removed. We don't know which one, but um, so he looks out and he sees her standing where the door was. And he just said, well, why'd you do that? Did you think I was doing something bad in here? Like he had no understanding why she would do that. Um, But she always wanted to be part of his world. And, you know, when he's in the mood to retreat and studies, but she would sit with him while he's trying to read. (laughs) And so uh, one biographer said the rhythm of work and rest did not coincide for Luther and his wife. After a day with children, animals and servants, she wanted to talk with an equal. And he, after preaching four times, lecturing and conversing with students at meals, wanted to drop in a chair and sink into a book. And then Katie would come in and ask him a question about predestination or why David bragged about his righteousness in the Psalms when he wasn't very righteous. I mean, all of these theological things. And so he really had to learn patience. In fact, he said, all my life is patience. I have to be patient with the Pope. I have to be patient with the heretics. I have to be patient with my family. And I even have to be patient with my wife. 
But, you know, as noble as that sounds, he was not exactly an easy person to live with either. He was very moody. Um, he also had really bad health. He had a lot of health issues, which made him even crankier sometimes. And depression. Depression, exactly. In fact, this is my favorite story. Uh, one time Luther was really depressed and he's kind of in this dark mood and moping around the house and just being a punk, you know, to his family. And it went on for so long that finally Katie started dressing in mourning, wearing black around the house and walking quietly around. And Martin noticed this. And after a while, he got so irritated that he finally asked, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And she said, oh, I'm sorry. You were acting as if God was dead. So I thought I was supposed to dress for the occasion. And so that really like snapped him out of it. So he realized he was kind of, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. taking things a little too but far. But you just see in that how perfect she yes. was for him because she did it comically. Yes. I mean, and... They said that he would always have kind of like a slight smile when he talked about Katie. Like Mm -hmm. he knew that she was perfect for him and that he needed everything she brought. I mean, that is just such a wise way. I would get the door taken off, dress in black. (laughs) Exactly. She's amazing. She really was. She really knew how to handle him. And so (laughs) um, sometimes the dinner table presented a showcase for their dynamic relationship as well. Um, There were a lot of, like I said, university students who were always coming through their professor's house to talk about theology, ask questions and that sort of a thing. And these were kind of informal discussions that later were published into a book called Table Talks. It became really famous for centuries. That was kind of like a classic Lutheran work. And Katie served as a hostess, of course, and as a listener, inquirer, and challenger. And Martin actually wanted her to participate, but sometimes that could get a little bit feisty because she was kind of Martin's filter on some of these occasions. Uh, For instance, sometimes he could get, you know, his language could get a little bit coarse or crude, and she would kind of call him out on that and tell him he was being too raw you know, in front of other people. Again, this is different for a woman to be that bold and forthright. But later he would hold her up as an example for all Protestant wives. Like this is how every wife should be. Mm -hmm. She also called him Sir Doctor Mm -hmm. whenever they were in public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in fact, one time um, he was talking so much that he wouldn't eat his dinner and it started to bother her. So she just finally blurted out and said, doctor, like you said, why don't you stop talking and eat? And he said, women should repeat the Lord's prayer before opening their mouths. So, I mean, they just... They went back and forth, bickering. And I love that the students wrote all this down. Yes. Uh, But for all the friction that their personalities produced, they really did appreciate and love one another, as we keep kind of mentioning. And they really grew as a person because their differences and their similarities also shaped and matured their character. And that's what all, you know, good Christian relationships do. In fact, Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so we see that for sure in their marriage. And Martin came to really rely on Katie, kind of like what Cheryl was saying. Um, as a kind of a partner in the Reformation. And this is how, you know, wives can team up with their husbands. Well, you know, she became his private secretary, his publishing agent. At one time when he was out of town, he wrote to her and said, I want you to help out with a pastoral search committee that's going on because you're ju- you have such good judgment and wisdom, godly wisdom. And so, I mean, it really was remarkable. Uh, one biographer said, as never before in history, women participated in the events of the Reformation rather than remaining silent partners. And so Katie was described as the balance wheel in the midst of chaos, the spiritual force and equilibrium in the life of the reformer and his work. Again, it, w- it was teamwork. Their marriage was such an example to lead the way in this revolutionary new era. And I love the Lord's wisdom in bringing together this runaway nun and a you know former monk to become the ideal, you know, couple to show people like this is how we can serve the Lord together. And this was something that just wasn't done back then. 
So um, spiritually, Katie was a strong and faithful support. She always exhorted Martin to the Lord, especially, like I said, during those times of depression and illness. And Martin really encouraged her to stay in the word. And he was always pointing her to Jesus because she worried a lot, especially when he was traveling. She worried about his health all the time. Once when he was traveling, he actually wrote her this letter kind of tongue in cheek. And he said, to the saintly worrying Lady Catherine Luther, doctor at Zulsdorf in Wittenberg, my gracious dear wife, we thank you heartily for being so worried that you can't sleep, for since you started worrying about us, a fire broke out near my door. And yesterday, no doubt due to your worry, a big stone, save for the dear angels, would have fallen and crushed us like a mouse in a trap. If you don't stop worrying, I'm afraid the earth will swallow us up. Pray and let God worry. Cast your burden on the Lord. <laughs> So Martin did actually deal with a lot of illnesses in his life. And uh, February of 1546, uh, you know, he was writing to her all optimistic and everything, but he was kind of covering for the fact that he was once again dealing with something pretty severe. Uh, I think he had a leg wound or something that had gone septic. And so he ended up dying while he was traveling, which was really sad. Um, and she found out about it after he had already passed away. But, you know, they had 20 years of an incredible marriage. And without question, it was his marriage to Katie that God really used to make Martin the man that he was. And so really the reality of salvation by faith, what that had been for him in his younger years as a young monk, spiritually in his relationship with the Lord, Katie had become for him in his later years. Um, he once actually said that the epistle of Galatians that was the one that had led to his spiritual transformation along with Romans. But there's that whole, the just shall live by faith in both of those epistles. And he said that Galatians was his Katie Fombora because it was the one that was closest to his heart and the one that had most impacted his life, which is so sweet. And he actually said he wouldn't trade her for France or Venice. And there's so many, if you ever get a chance to read some of his writings, he just said so many, you know, awesome things about her and um, his marriage, a lot of humorous things, but also some real wise insights that showed how appreciative he was for his wife. And so she really had a profound impact on his thinking, his ministry, his character. And uh, that's pretty obvious, as like I said, when you read some of his writing. So uh, after Martin died, everything started to kind of go downhill for Katie. Uh, apparently it was against German law for a husband's estate to be deeded over to his widow. Again, this was one of the disadvantages for women at that time. And we've seen at other periods of history where women just... <laughs> Can't even have property. I mean, my goodness, you know, so there was that going on. Martin did also, um, I mean, because he was so bad with money and everything, he hadn't really made a lot of provision in foresight for his family. He did want them to trust God and everything, but, you know, it would have been nice if he could have done something a little bit more. But she couldn't touch the estate, unfortunately. There were friends that provided. Um, also, she had the war breaking out. Then there was a war that broke out exactly uh, between the Catholics and the Protestants, because by this time, the Reformation's in full swing. And uh, there's just a lot of fighting. And I might have mentioned this before, but I mean, for centuries, and this goes back to like Constantine, this idea of church and state was a very common concept. It was hard for even the reformers to come out from under this idea of politics and church working together in society. And so a lot of times you'd have these religious wars that were also political wars. And so it was very convoluted and messy. And so you have Catholics and Protestants fighting over territories politically, which probably should never have happened, but that was the kind of the mess that was created. And so and, uh, Katie and, had to flee. Right. And Martin Wittenberg. Luther had kept the Protestants from war over and over again while he lived. But once he left, these other kind of zealots rose up and, you know, formed these armies and, you know, before they had handled it by prayer. Yeah, it starts getting out of control. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's that's pretty much what happens a lot of times, right? In the next generation, people forget. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so um, Katie had to leave Wittenberg. Um, when she returned home, her lands had been just completely ravaged by the war, unfortunately. And so um, then a plague broke out in 1552. And it's interesting because earlier in their uh, lives, Martin and Katie uh, had faced plague outbreaks in Wittenberg and they had stayed and, uh, you know, really in faith chosen to um, just minister to people and not walk in fear. They're like, hey, you know, for some people, maybe you feel called to leave, but we really feel like we don't want to walk in fear. And so they would stay and minister to plague victims like Catherine of Siena had done. So very remarkable. But um, at this point, uh, the university had to temporarily move to Torgau and Katie decided, again, she's a widow now, a little more vulnerable, less protection. And so she decided to go there as well. However, on the way, she fell off of a wagon and uh, never recovered her health. She ended up dying December 20th, 1552. But for three months before that, she Mm. was in and out of consciousness, too. Mm. And three months is a long time Mm -hmm. to deal with those those injuries. And she's only 53 years old. Oh, she was not that old at all. I know. And then when she passed, like I said, she was buried in uh, Torgau. And despite her many trials, she died with a deep, steadfast face. Her last words were, I will stick to Christ as a burr to a topcoat. Isn't or to that a dress. so good? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. That was her final testimony. And so, you know, a lot of what we know about Katie comes from the writings of her husband. But and she also wrote as well. But a lot of those letters and writings, unfortunately, disappeared. People were probably a little more vigilant with keeping Luther's uh, writings, sadly. But it is clear that she was a remarkable woman, really raised up by the Lord as the right helpmeet to this man of the hour, you know, Martin Luther. And so she really was kind of the first lady of the Reformation. Um in more ways than one. And we didn't even get into some of the other ways that she ministered, not only to her family and the students, but to the whole community, kind of like what Cheryl was saying. I mean, she was always reaching out to help nurse sick people to health, to bring in, um, you know, widows and their families, people that had been torn up by the Reformation. They would all know that they had a home. And she adopted four children. Yes, they took in other kids. Yeah, family members, children, and, uh, you know, different just people that were orphaned by the Reformation. And so, uh, man, it's just remarkable. And so even though she's not always as well known, obviously, as Martin himself, she was so faithful in what the Lord called her to. And you see that fruit in all of her ministry. And so as Martin Luther's out kind of revolutionizing Christianity worldwide, Katie is revolutionizing his home, his private life, and the concept of Christian marriage and ministry at that time. So. There's a statue of her in Wittenberg. Oh, really? Man, yes. I really want to go to Wittenberg. That's like a little bucket list thing mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Yes. And there was also an opera of her life. There was? That was made. Mm-hmm. When was that? Was that later it on? It doesn't give the date, but it was interesting. I don't know. Wow. I, I probably, it's so in German, right? Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> but you speak German, so you'll, you'll a little bit. some of it. Oh, man, yes. very little. I'm Bischen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the story of, of Katie Von Bora. And I mm-hmm. think Katarina Von Bora is so inspirational. Mm-hmm. I had read... Um, what was it? He called her his rib. Yeah, um, Katie, my rib. Katie, yeah. my rib. And that was the book that I had read, which is a mm. uh, compilation of, of different marriages. Oh, okay. okay. And um, that was so good. And that had been my introduction to Katerina Von Bora. And I just loved her because she's so real. She is so real. But yep. we have some more of these real women mm-hmm. to talk about in the future. But that's why Katerina Von Bora is a woman worth knowing. She sure is. Because she's got so many characteristics that I share. And she gives us this, like you said, a beautiful marriage, a marriage that is so well-suited and so complementary mm-hmm. to each other, playing to each other's strengths and 
Um, I just love that story. But we have more for the future, but we want to hear from you. Yes, we do. (laughs) And so what we're going to ask you is two things. First of all, please like us on whatever venue you listen to us on, because Mm -hmm. uh, that really helps to know that we're doing, we're going in the right track. Mm -hmm. And we love these stories that we're bringing to you. But we'd like to bring more stories. We'd like to hear from you if you have a mother or a sister or just like a short biography of someone you know who has inspired you to walk with Jesus or blessed your life or has done something notable. Would you please write us and let us know? And you can get in touch with us at wwk at cccm.com. You can also go to Cheryl's website, graciouswords.com. There's a link there um, if you'd like to contact us that way too. Or ccm. Oh, sorry, women.cccm.com. That will get you there as well. And again, we want to hear from you. We want to hear some of these stories because we want to show too that women worth knowing are still alive and walking among us. In fact, you might just be that woman that is so worth knowing and we want to know about you. Yes, we do. So until (laughs) next week. Thanks for joining us. That's right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.